1: The sucker's going up. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Playing fuzzy Podcast. We are here today. It's always weird because we go straight from like, oh, oh we'll start, to me go, welcome everybody to the Playing Pussy Podcast. And these guys just laugh at me. Uh, today we've got Steve D and Steve W again, and me, Briscoe, and we're going to talk about the week or last week in stocks. Uh, because we're recording this on Monday or Tuesday or Sunday. I don't even know what day it is today. But today we are going to talk about lots and lots of different things. We're going to have a game from Steve D. We're going to talk about uh, megat, uh the Megat news in the UK here because it's been bought out. We're going to go through Tesla earnings because we didn't go through that w- last weekend. there's a lot to get out of that Tesla. And uh, I think we're looking forward, or at least Steve W. is looking forward to Berkshire Hathaway's earnings uh so he he wants to have a chat about that and uh, i do as well because berkshire is uh berkshire an interesting one as far as valuation goes right now uh and then finally we are going to answer a question today we are going to answer a question uh from equity investor uh it's on pipelines um specifically uh drug pipelines and how we uh sort of evalu- evaluate them so if you want to hear about drug pipelines that's really really boring <laughs> way to sell it right uh <laughs> then uh, stick around to the end. But today we have Steve D, Steve W. How are you doing, guys?
2: Uh, Doing good, Paul. Excited for this drug pipeline question. I thought it was (laughs) a really good question from Equity (laughs) Investor, to be honest. And I spent quite a while thinking about it and putting stuff together. I know you guys have as well. We've been wanting to cover this for ages. Uh, The market's been reasonably quiet. We recorded the last thing after the close on Friday. It's Monday and the market's still open. Not a huge amount has happened yet. But I'm just excited for this pipeline thing yeah
0: i'm with you yeah i'm i'm really into the pipeline questions to be honest yeah i really like the idea of answering this because there's a bit of meat behind it
1: (laughs) yeah yeah that's it we we i like the uh the the highbrow uh question that's been asked here so this should be fun but what's more fun is steve d wants to do his game because he was really looking forward to doing it last week and he didn't get to do it so go on what's this game today
0: (laughs) well I just, first of all, I want to thank Pete uh, Noob Investor on the Discord for the inspiration, um, which means that one of these guys may have worked out which one this one is now. And I had a couple of names for it, and I, I, I had um, Special Purpose Acquisition Company or Some Random Somebody. Oh, yes. Or Talking know, Smack or Talking Spack. Now, you can decide which one of those you prefer. I like Talking
1: Spack. I like... <laughs> I like the talking SPAC one. Talking oh, SPAC like Okay,
0: that. so the way it works is um, pick a number between 1 and 10 and I will give you um, a company name and all you have to tell me is whether I am talking about a SPAC or whether I am talking SPAC. Um did
1: you tell us you played this with your wife earlier I and mean, she did really well?
0: She did better than you are going to do, but that is how ridiculous the <laughs> names are that I have picked. I have scoured SPAC track for 20 minutes and I got 10 names out and then realised I was only at C. And I thought, oh, hang on a second. I'm huh? going to have to keep going. I, I, this has been chopped and changed. And uh, yeah, these are the 10 most wow. obscure names I could find. So, Paul, uh... I've got you down as first on the. Uh, on the list for once, give us a number between 1 and 10. All right.
1: Numero uno. We'll start because I I can count normally. <laughs> Numero uno is
0: my favourite on the list. So it is... Oh, great. Colon Capital Acquisition Corp.
1: Uh, I'm going to say that is a SPAC. That... <laughs> Colon Capital. <laughs> the company is actually called
0: <laughs> Colony Capital. Uh, they launched Falcon Acquisition, and it is indeed uh, false. Um, yeah. They are actually no longer a spec either. Is there a sound effect, Steve? Oh, I did press it, yes, but I pressed <laughs> it on the preview. Sorry,
2: I didn't hear it. And it, now, it, <laughs> now
1: it's broken. It. Now <laughs> it's broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's them. totally
0: broken. So, Paul, Not you are really. some Just to start, you know, Falcon Acquisition is closed down because um, one of the people who raised it has uh, is currently standing trial for something to do with Donald Trump. So there you go, interesting tidbit. So, go on, Steve. Uh, number four, please. Number four is the big Greek acquisition corp.
2: <laughs> what?
1: That's... These just mean nothing, don't they? They mean absolutely nothing.
2: <laughs> yeah. I. The Big Greek Acquisition Corp. I, I I actually don't really know what I'm supposed to go on here, unless you say Gores 28 <laughs> or something, at least. Um, the Big Greek Acquisition Corp is not a SPAC. That's Let's try that. Correct. It is not a SPAC.
1: <laughs> There's
2: no sound effects
0: today. Right. Um... Okay, Paul. Number two. Number two uh, is just another acquisition corp.
1: Oh, God. That's got to be a SPAC. That's got to be. They're so The names are so stupid. That is
0: correct. Yes, it is a SPAC. Uh, it's a very small SPAC. In fact, it was the smallest SPAC on the list. Um, uh-huh. Okay,
1: Steve. Got a target? Uh, no. Has it got a target? No. <laughs> uh, number
0: nine. Number nine. So, number nine is Queen's Gambit Growth Capital 2.
2: Oh, that's tricky, isn't it? Um, Queen's Gambit Growth Capital... <laughs> mm, Are you aware no that been, there has
0: been a Queen's Gambit Capital Growth 1?
2: Oh, no, I like this. Um, I like, this has made... And that's why I'm wondering this whether there's maybe... a trap here, because I wonder whether there has been a one, but there hasn't been a two, and that two is there to put me off a little bit. I right, am going to say that also.
1: I think because this is quite funny. It, it's good because Spax Spax were coming out at the same time as Queen's Gambit came out on Netflix. Mm. But I know he watches a lot of Netflix, and he's sat and he's looked through <laughs> the titles, and he's seen Queen's Gambit, and he's gone, "That's what I'm going to do." <laughs> I go. would that's believe a, that there's
2: that's a my, I'm going to give you that
1: one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I believe there is one because it came out at the same time as SPACs were sort of getting big. So it would make sense for a company to call itself Queen's Gambit because it was like a big hypey thing at the time. But I know he also sits and uh, scrolls through Netflix and that's where he's getting his names from.
2: Yeah, I think this is a trap. I think this two is here to try and make me think it's a spec, and there's not been a Queen's Gambit two. Maybe there's been a Queen's Gambit one, but this number thing is designed to convince me that it's a SPAC, so I'm going to say it isn't. You are correct that there would have been a Good. Queen's Gambit growth capital one. You are
0: incorrect. There has also been a Queen's <sighs> Gambit growth capital two. As well, Bunga. Uh, rather unbelievably named wow. after the hit Netflix show. Uh, its board members include um, directors from IKEA and directors from Volvo. Wow! What you got for me, Paul?
1: They'll do anything. They'll to do to try and get themselves in front of the news, won't they? Uh, number ten. Number ten.
0: Um, Jaws Tornado Acquisition Corp. <laughs>
1: Are you trying to tell me someone's named a SPAC after Sharknado? That's, that's what you're trying to tell me? <laughs> that's not a SPAC, because you've made that up. There's no way. Well, up. you'd be interested oh. to know that you are
0: correct. The SPAC is actually called oh, Jaws Hurricane Acquisition Corp.
2: Wow. There's a few of these, aren't wow. there? There's Jaws, like, various, yeah,
0: all sorts of Jaws, and then Natural Disaster Jaws Tsunami, I think, was another one I spotted. Mm. I-, I wondered about that one. But there's no Tornado. Good fake one, mm. though. Uh, That's a good fake one. Good fake. Which one are you going for? Five, please. Five is my second favourite on the list. Oh, -hmm. Lord. Beard Energy Acquisition Corp.
2: Beard Energy. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Paul's just going to spit water for those watching on Spotify. (laughs) Beard
2: (laughs) (laughs) Energy Acquisition Corp. (laughs) Well, I'm again looking for clues here, but I think this might not be much of a clue. It begins with a B, and you said there were lots between A and C that you liked the sound of. Um, So, (laughs) Uh, you also then said you'd change them all up. Uh, By the way, before I answer this particular question, did you say at one point in the setup for this game that this was something that Paul and I should know as a result of having been around markets. Yes. uh, And that we probably wouldn't. I mean, you're half right about this. Neither of us has had a clue about any of these things yet, I think. But I don't see any way in which we should know about the existence of beard shark NATO acquisitions. Another thing. The second. (laughs) Uh, I've forgotten what it's even called, but yeah, it's a SPAC. Why
0: not? It is a SPAC. Beard Energy Acquisition Corp. <laughs> is a back, but it has no target at the moment. Right.
1: Does it not? No. And you know they sat. <laughs> you know they sat there and they went. Should we? Should we try and call it Big Dick Energy? And they went, No, we we can't. We can't do that. Can't no, do no, that no, can't let's really. be we sensible and call it Beard that. Energy. Okay, we'll go with we'll go with Beard Energy. Then. <laughs> right. Uh, so my number, uh, number eight, I think
0: is free? it is free. Yes. Uh, Genesis <laughs> Unicorn
1: Capital Corporation. Yeah, that's got to be a SPAC. That's got to be a SPAC. I'm going to say that's quite an easy SPAC. It is a SPAC,
0: yeah. Genesis Unicorn Capital <sighs> Corporation is a very small SPAC, and I didn't actually recognize any of the board members, nor where they worked from.
1: So we've got wow. three... <laughs> Wait, so... so you just say three random guys made a SPAC and went, yeah, we'll call it Genesis Unicorn. Yeah,
0: it, it was a very small SPAC as
1: well. So it was This like... is... Listen, people. This is what you're investing <laughs> in. Like, please. Please think. Please think before you put any money into these things. Oh, God. All right. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve, when will
2: you be finding targets for all these SPACs you've just launched? <laughs> <laughs> I'm focusing on beard energy at the moment. Uh, okay, seven,
0: please. So seven is... 895 Fifth Avenue Partners, Incorporated.
1: I think that's Sounds too... Like... He couldn't even read that off the sheet, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list, all right. Say it again, <laughs> Steve.
0: 895 Fifth Avenue Partners, Incorporated.
2: 800... <clears> hmm. <throat> is 895 it doesn't sound like a particularly i mean it's not an exciting name is it particularly like or am i missing 895 5th avenue as a famous address or something um, i'm not sure yeah uh okay um 895 5th avenues yeah, why not? That sounds boring. It might be the name of us, But I can't see why you would make that up. Uh, is that a spec? Yes, it it's is. It's not a SPAC. Maybe? No, the, uh, SPAC
0: called, oh. the SPAC is actually called... The SPAC is actually called 895th Avenue Partners Incorporated. Now, this is the one I uh, thought you might get, uh, because they do have a target. They're the ones taking BuzzFeed live.
2: Oh, are mm. they? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting.
0: Okay, you've got... Does BuzzFeed make much money? I, don't... I, I haven't looked, to be honest.
1: No. <laughs> This just seems like a lot. Uh, right, uh, number three?
0: Yeah, bloody yeah. look at him go. So this <laughs> this is for the win, if you get this one. Uh, so number three is Aspirational Consumer Lifestyle Corporation.
1: If you say it in your Barry C. homeowner voice. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, aspirational, what was it, Aspirational, aspirational Consumer, Consumer Lifestyle, Lifestyle Corporation. <laughs> They like to do this, don't they? Particularly, what's-his-face, Chamath Palihapitiya? He likes to say what he's after. I, but you keep I changing these up. I spent a
0: long time making this game.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a whole 20 minutes. Um, I'm hey, going to say it's SPAC, to Watch about 18 episodes
2: SPAC. of Queen's Gambit to come up with one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I'm going to say SPAC. Go for it. It is a SPAC.
0: Hooray! It is a SPAC. Uh, They merged, and, well, they are in the process of finalising a merger with Wheels Up, a private jet chartering company, and the chairman of the SPAC is the director at um, LVMH. Just for completeness, Steve, and I know people will be desperate (laughs) for it at (laughs) home, six, do-it-again corporation. (laughs) Do-it-again corporation.
2: (laughs) Oh, I um, am, oh, yeah, no, uh, this is... I don't know. Uh, this is not a SPAC. You
0: would be wrong again. It is a SPAC. It's a mm. restaurant heavy board looking for restaurant but, yeah. companies. Well done, Paul. Unfortunately, we have
1: broke his duck. 4-2. <laughs> I, uh, I went on simply the tossing of a coin <laughs> 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 for version of a, of a game. They are the shatiest company <laughs> news that I could come across. <laughs> I'm going to get Bitcoin a shit coin back now. <laughs> that that was a great episode wasn't it <laughs> uh, right okay let's move on to the earnings and things so uh the bit of news that we've got first is uh the mega mega acquisition it's bought, been bought by i've forgotten who it's been bought by because it's that was on the top of my by head
2: by saw... parker hannafin in the u.s
1: keep going you keep going because you know a lot more about this than me
2: Sure. So this is news as of this morning, uh, which is Monday 2nd. Uh, so Megit is a UK component manufacturer, uh, makes things for aerospace, defense, energy sectors, things like aircraft wheels, uh, small components for large industrial sorts of things. Um, and it's one of the companies that in the UK that's had an offer to be bought out by Parker Hannifin, who are a similar type of uh, company over in the US. And what's happened here is that Parker Hannafin's offer is a cash offer, I think. So uh, Megit shareholders get cash entirely for their um, shares. And Parker Hannafin's valuing the company or paying for the company at around 800 uh, pence per share. Um, Megit this morning opened, well, I say opened closed last Friday at around 459 and has shot up to 733. Uh, so a couple of interesting things to note here. One is that um, that's a, Parker Hannifin were bidding about 80% over the top of the uh, share price mm. on Friday, which is a decent whack. I know that generally speaking, when you try and buy the entire company, not that I've tried to buy an entire company, but when companies try to buy other companies in their entirety, they generally pay more than the kind of current market cap. They get a premium for um, uh, acquiring entirety, but that's still quite a bit. Uh, and the other thing to note mm-hmm. is that Parker Hannifin is... Clo- uh, not Parker Hannifin. sorry, Megat closed today at 733. So it's still 10% short of the acquisition price, which, if you think that deal's going through, might make an interesting sort of arbitrage opportunity for you.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because they're going to buy it straight out. Has that price gone up simply because of the price, the $8.8 billion that Megget is willing uh, or that Parker are willing to pay for Megit or is that simply people who have jumped on the news and gone, Wait, there's some serious arbitrage here. Um just to explain, arbitrage is basically saying this is definite money. So if you invest in something this is definite money to to go up. But yeah, is, is that people jumping on this morning, seeing the news and going, Jesus, it's half the price. It's half the price. of that I'm gonna get a free free money. Uh so lots of people jumped on that really quickly I assume.
2: As far as I can see, yes. Um, So as far as I can see, the reason this has shot up is just because when you know someone's buying your company at a certain value in cash, um, then you know exactly what the price of that share is going to be at a certain point in the future. It's going to be 800 pence. Uh, Why it's not 800 pence at the moment is because, well, that deal's not closed. There is still time for this all to go wrong. Um, So there's a bit of a margin built into this at the moment. You wouldn't pay 800 now because... If you pay 800 now, you have guaranteed no upside on this. Unless someone comes okay. in and bids over the top, I suppose. but
1: yeah, Is there any danger of that? Guarantee someone is going to.
2: Any danger of that? Uh, there you go. I
0: was thinking at 80% <laughs> yeah. premium, normally what? normally when you pay a 15-20% premium, you're almost expecting a rival bid, aren't you? But an 80% premium is... Well, it shows you two things, really. It shows that, that they believe that the... The UK market is still significantly undervalued, um, and it also shows that you know we still have some critical manufacturing that the world, you know, still still wants to buy and use, which is quite positive. But I was just going to say, is there any danger that this is sort of critical infrastructure to the UK and something the UK would want to keep their grubby mitts on?
2: So when I looked at this story this morning, I understood there were deals to keep things in the UK for megat in, uh, that involve cooperation with the UK government, whatever that meant. I haven't seen details on that particularly, but you are right in thinking that, yeah, there's a sense in which you don't want things like this draining out of the UK. The massive premium on it is kind of interesting. I mean, there's a sense in which Parker Hannafin, a very similar company, it's a megat. There's a lot of kind of synergies to be had there. Whether there's 80% worth of synergies is another question. But there's what Parker Hannifin could do buying this entire company at that valuation versus what, I don't know, Google or someone uh, could do buying this company in a certain way. They can't plug things in and work them across in quite the same way. That might be why they're willing to pay a bit more for it. But um, your point's a good one here, Steve, I think, that this is a sign of... Companies looking at, uh, sorry, companies in the US looking at FTSE-traded UK companies. uh, Megit's a 250 company, I think, um, and thinking, yeah, yeah, there's some things there that we might like the look of at these prices, or indeed,
1: you know, these prices plus 80%. Yeah, Megit is one of the companies which I had as uh, when I originally started as one of these dividend companies for uh, for the UK, and it does look really good. But I seem to remember that it had either declining revenue or declining profit margin, and it was a, it was becoming a real problem, so that's why I never really went for it. But I'm um, just reading uh, a bit of information here, how they expect to increase the workforce by 10% by going into this. So they're keeping, they say they're keeping everything in the UK, as far as this goes. Uh, and uh, they said the deal would add to... Earnings in the full 12 months after closing expects uh, $300, million, $300 million in savings and $250 million in one-time costs. So they are going to cost-cut on Megit. So, and we all know where cost-cutting goes. It go, comes from the employees, unfortunately. That's the first place to go. Uh, so there will be something going on uh, there. They, there's a It's a lot of mixed coming out of the news on this one. So... Yeah, it's a it's very interesting. Megat's uh, a, a good British company. Um, have you seen anything? We'll move on because I, I'm reading. I'm going to try and read and talk at the same time. Steve, do you got anything on that one? You look like you wanted to say something. No, on no, that I was one. just moving
0: my mic down.
2: <laughs> just one thing then. <laughs>
1: Before sure. we kind of move off
2: this one entirely, I mean, this is part of... The reason that it caught my eye today is this is sort of starting to emerge into a little bit of a theme. Mm. We've been seeing... We didn't talk about this on the pod uh, a few weeks ago because we had plenty of other stuff to be doing. But Morrison's, the UK supermarket retailer, uh, has had a few bids from various US uh, private equity uh, firms that would quite like to acquire it, I think. And it's had a couple of... Um, spikes in its share price as a result. Uh, Morrisons, I think, are expecting a bidding war, for what that's worth. Uh, And the main reason for that, as far as I can tell, is a bit like, I think, Amazon acquires Whole Foods. People quite like the look of the real estate. Uh, Here, whether you really think Morrison's is an amazing kind of um, retail business that's going to have better than average margins or lower than average costs or whatever is another question. But it does own a lot of distribution centers. It owns a lot of supermarkets, it owns various other bits of real estate. And initially, when this kind of bidding was coming down, I saw there was a sort of cost of around six point three billion from an outfit called Fortress. The stuff I was reading said Morrison's had real estate to the value of at least eight. Um, which would tell you this is a way of trying to steal some real estate that's going cheap after things like uh, Brexit uh, and those kind of uh, sorts of things. So I wonder whether there's a bit of a theme emerging here. And those of us who are at least something to do with FTSE related podcasts uh, ought to be attentive to stuff going on (laughs) on the on the index and wondering whether there's a story for us to keep our eye on here.
1: Like you said, if the UK is undervalued, the certain companies that everyone thinks is undervalued in the company in the UK, then US companies are going to start looking over and going, oh, maybe we should have a bit of this before everyone starts to realize. And yeah, there could be a trend coming. But what I want to say is um, this is what I remember what I was going to say is actually is up 80 percent previous to this news that happened today because it, this has been a rumor for quite a while and i didn't realize it had been a rumor for quite a while um but this is your warning now all playing footsie listeners listeners all two or three of you um don't <laughs> buy mega over 800 as simple as that don't buy mega over over 800p because uh, you will lose money definitely uh, in the opposite way so there's your warning right now uh, it's uh, something that We wanted to get out there. Right, next up, we're going to talk about Tesla. We're going to bang through these quite quickly today because uh, I'm thinking that BMY thing, uh, the pipeline thing is going to take up a lot of time later. Tesla earnings this week. We wanted to talk about Tesla because it's actually extremely positive, in my opinion. I don't know if these guys have got something else, Uh, but Tesla earnings came in at 1.45 versus 98 cents. So beating on its earnings per share. Revenue came in at 11.96 billion. Wait, is this one in date? Yeah, this yep. one is yep. in date. That's fine. I was just checking it. Uh, 11.96 billion versus uh, 11.3 billion, and uh, it delivered 201,000 cars. Um, pretty, pretty good numbers from Tesla here, right? Yep,
2: dead on in deliveries uh that's all very nice uh they also turned a profit without their green credit sales which is something that people who have been doubtful about tesla have been wanting to see them well i suppose they haven't been wanting to see them do but i've been criticizing them for not doing uh, I guess. And that's good to see. Uh, this is obviously very deceptive stuff here from Tesla, right? So they're talking about vehicle deliveries. They're talking about not selling green credits. They, We all know they're not a car company, but they do look a lot like a car company. They behave like car company, <laughs> at least at the moment anyway. Um, I haven't yet heard anything about the kind of ARC um, human taxi driving thing that they've heard about. But I enjoyed this earnings call an awful lot for what it's worth, partly because... Uh, Elon announced that he's not going to be on any of the future earnings calls, which is sort of sad. But he also couldn't resist having a bit of a shot at
1: Apple. Did either of you hear this? Yeah, I did. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, uh, Elon twice during uh, the earnings call gave a little shade. Uh, One of them, the one that stands out the most, he was saying that uh, because of the Tesla future, they're trying to say that Tesla is trying to... Be better for the world. It's trying to take people away from gas cars and cars, so it wants to deliver all of its products and it wants to share. I think it was in particular talking about its charging network. Uh, yeah. It wants to share the charging network and not build a walled garden. <coughs> And that was basically what he did. Uh, So where Apple, we all know, makes an amazing uh, uh, profit from keeping you inside and tethered down inside the ecosystem. uh, Tesla doesn't want to do that. And it's going to make money somehow by not doing that. Uh, (coughs) And that was that was basically what he did. I'm sure he did it twice. I just can't remember what the other one was all about. Did
0: you hear the rumor that came out this week that um, Apple tried to buy Tesla? And basically, yeah, yeah. Um, this is it. Yeah. And, and Tim Cook rang up Elon and said, um, yeah, you know, we want to, we want to buy you. What, what's the price? And Elon gave a price and then said, but I want to be CEO. And, and yeah, Tim I Cook got... said, well, yeah, you can, I, you know, I, I understand the idea of you still being CEO of Tesla. And he went, no, of Apple. <laughs> 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 and, then,
1: and apparently he went, fuck off. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> and slammed <laughs> the phone down. Um... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but... There's, there's a, there's a, this is a rumor, and it's actually been published in a book, mm. I believe. Yeah. Uh mm. So the, that gives it more <laughs> gravitas. But <laughs> both Tim Cook and Elon Musk seem to have said that it, it never happened. So uh, I don't know if no one knows if this is like just trying to it, cover up or anything, but yeah. It's just as an, an anecdote,
0: one. it reminds me of a story from early Monzo days when um, Royal Bank of Scotland apparently rang up Tom Bom- uh, Tom Blomfield and said. Um, you know, would you be interested in acquisition? And apparently Monzo turned went, no, we're not looking to acquire Royal, Ban- Royal Bank of Scotland at the moment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: That's balls, I, I, that, I, Yeah.
2: It? I heard this rumour. I quite enjoyed the way Paul said it's been published in a book, or whatever they are now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, this is it. <laughs> Some sort of physical internet object. Uh, yeah. Um, Words? In I was interested... <laughs> I was interested in throwing shade at Apple's walled garden approach, actually, and the idea that Tesla um, are going to make their charging uh, equipment. So uh, either come with conversers or adaptable so it can be used with other manufacturers. I wonder whether uh, you can call me cynical if you like, but I really wonder whether this is about saving the earth or whether it might also be a little bit about this infrastructure bill me. Uh, that we keep hearing about Um, so there's 7.5 billion for charging stations which is going to be about half a million units I think Um, and there's a question of whether Tesla can get their hands on any of this for their charging stations it may well be the case they have a better chance of doing that if they think from the US government they're not just going to use it to build Tesla charging stations but they can use it for building EV charging stations because this could be a big thing for Tesla if they can get their hands on some of that large infrastructure bill thingy Um, I think their chances of doing that go down if they look like a walled garden that's going to basically take away all the money from, well, into a company that is run by Elon, who famously doesn't get on super well uh, with lawmakers and law enforcers uh, and away from great American brands like uh, Ford and GM and so on and so forth. So I wonder whether there's something else there. Call me cynical if you like.
1: Yeah, and you touched on the automated driving because I don't think it mentioned it that much in the earnings call, did they? But the week before, they released the possible prices of full self-driving. How much it's going to cost to sign up? You you can either buy it just outright for your car for life for about ten grand, I think it was, or you can sign up for a hundred and ninety nine dollars a month. And I'm thinking, wow, do I really want to pay? One hundred and ninety nine dollars for anything on my car, and i don 't really know uh, Steve d you own a tesla you 're going to buy full self driving straight out or are you 're going to spend it a month no, so I was on the beta
0: for full self driving in the u k and um, and it 's still terrible um so (laughs) i'm not particularly in a rush to have it i I actually uh, driving home from driving home from the golf at the weekend uh, i put the full self-driving on on, and it tried to take a a corner in a country road which was rather sharp uh, about 50 miles an hour and it it sort of like got onto the other side of the road luckily there was nobody coming and then it just turned the full self-driving off and essentially went your problem so that's kind of the level <laughs> right. and it was a well-marked road, it was a well-signed posted corner, and it just couldn't do it. And that's the problem we've got at the moment with it, is that um, I, as the passenger turned around and went, that was fucking terrifying, don't do that again.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'll say it again, my only experience of being in, in Tesla uh, one, or two, one or two times, uh, both times, the Tesla has failed at ro- uh, the full, uh, the automated driving or whatever you want to call it has failed both times on roadworks and it's fucking terrifying. Hmm. It's absolutely scary. You see these nice YouTube videos of them going around New York and or is it New York or LA? or yeah, something? Yeah. Uh, and they're all going all nicely around the corners and stuff. And I, that, that is not my experience not mine either, of no. Tesla driving and and uh, you know Steve D's got one, but I, I'm not trying to add to the foot here. I'm just trying to give a really open open ended argument about it. Um, but uh, I did see was it Waymo or no? It's was Mobileye, wasn't it? Mobileye is now doing um, full self driving in New York. So uh, th- there is competition here. It is catching up. I think Mobilize said it's not going to do anything till 2025 though.
0: I think these areas are really well mapped. So whereas the Tesla is using sort of like a reactive vision, it still relies on the people who have driven the road before you, and I think country roads in the mm-hmm. UK will b- probably be one of the last sort of roads to uh, get mapped. So I think when it's using its own camera vision, it's exceptionally poor. But when you're in built where you know they've got the data, they've got the they've got the map. They probably they've probably even got it back saved somewhere. It, it does work very very well. The only issue that you would have with a Tesla in a city is that it's very hesitant. Um and but that's not exactly the worst thing yeah. in the world. But it will just slam the brakes when you're not expecting it. But it, it, generally in the city mm. it's brilliant. But on the country roads, I would just drive it yourself for a couple of years.
1: Yeah, that's it. And there's there's a big argument that Teslas are this do have this reactive driving system and it's great. It doesn't use lidar and blah blah blah. But it does still have to communicate with other Teslas who have previously driven these roads. That is, that is a big thing. It's And it's very similar to Mobileye, which is using previously mapped out, similar to Google Maps, but also it, it, the the Mobileye algorithm feeds back and tells all the other cars what's, what the road looks like. So they do seem to still be using similar systems, mm. even though Tesla investors will tell you they don't. Uh, which is very interesting. But um, what, I, what I would say about the $199, I, w- I wasn't sure if you, one of you guys would have picked that up, but $199 or 10000 does seem like a lot. But the idea going forward is that you will probably be able to make money off this going forward. So eventually, you know, 2025, 2026, because you're paying $199 a month, you will be able to connect this to the tesla taxi network and essentially give your car out to tesla during your work day so everyone else can travel around in it be sick in it shitting it and whatever <laughs> they want to do in it uh I, I, I don't know whatever they want to do and then it comes back to you and you'll have made a bit of bit of in money thank, carrying around a homeless person thank god, god for the white <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna rent out the my Model S plate or whatever they call them now. And uh yeah, someone's just gonna go <laughs> some, some I don't know. Some some guy's just gonna go on the back back seat and pick up a hooker with it or something and uh, just make it nice and juicy and slidey on the back. So, so is,
2: that, sorry, is that why it hurts went bankrupt then, because they lost all their inventory <laughs> because Paul was shitting in their cars and picking up hookers with homeless people? <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to come up with the craziest
0: Paul's thing. Paul's just giving us be his gone. innermost feelings um, here, isn't he? He literally can't <laughs> wait for Tesla's <laughs> time driving.
1: Yeah, because that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah, I'm one star on Uber, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if, you could, if, you could guarantee, if
0: you could guarantee that you're going to get your mate's Tesla to come and pick you up, that is exactly what you do, though, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh God! Oh God! Yes, you go on the Tesla app and you go. You I go, love okay, Dave's I Tesla. A Tesla. Oh, Dave's Tesla. Yes, Dave's. Yeah. Always oh, Dave. I'm gonna leave him a surprise. <laughs> just to just send a picture to Dave
0: of you driving in his Tesla, not wearing any pants. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just it's just you like filming yourself dipping your balls on all different parts that he would touch, like the door handle and the and the steering wheel. <laughs> Welcome, Rubbing welcome, new people. This is the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's our that's our uh, rundown of Tesla. And there you go. Um, uh, take with the, do with that what you will. <laughs> okay. Not investment and last advice. Last of all, we're going to talk about. B- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh, last we're going to talk about Berkshire Hathaway. I have got nothing on Berkshire Hathaway because Berkshire Hathaway is basically dead to me now. Um, but Steve W. Uh, did or does invest... Sorry, you got to do full disclosure. So I think you do invest in Berkshire still. Uh, go for it. What, what are you looking forward to?
2: Yes, I own some Berkshire Hathaway things. I'm looking forward to this because Berkshire is, I think, the only one of the companies that I own, apart from maybe the REIT that I own that doesn't offer out guidance. So what we were looking at last week uh, when we saw these things was Amazon slipping a bit on weak guidance, uh, Facebook slipping a bit on weak guidance again. Uh, Amazon its revenues a little bit, but nothing particularly major, and the stock came down about 7% or so. So I'm interested in what's going on at Berkshire Hathaway. I'm, I'm less kind of worried about the... Um, operating earnings numbers and the revenue numbers. They might hit what Wall Street are after. They might miss what Wall Street are after. But I am interested in how a stock reacts when there's no guidance at all because there's never guidance. So the market usually reacts badly to companies withdrawing guidance or pulling guidance or saying we're not forecasting anymore. But Berkshire have never done this. Berkshire have a culture of basically not doing anything that they're not required to do by law. So they don't particularly want to offer... Um, things like a uh, green energy uh, statements because they feel they would have to hire someone to do it and that would use up money and be a waste of everybody's time. Uh, they also don't particularly want to offer out earnings guidance or anything along those sorts of things because they think, well, why should we bother? Wall Street can come up with their own ones if they want, but our investors will just sit here and do their kind of thing. So that's one of the reasons I've got an eye on this earnings in particular because I quite like this about companies, to be honest. I like companies that are more quiet about what they're doing. So it's a perfectly legitimate way of uh, operating a business, from what I can tell, to make a lot of noise, do a lot of marketing, uh, say we're going to do this and this, and in fact we are doing this and this and this. I like Berkshire's uh, keep their cards closer to their chest sort of thing. So if we compare them, the most obvious example of the opposite of this is Kathy Wood and Ark, who tell you what she's buying and selling every damn day. Uh, Berkshire would not let you pay them uh, to find out what they're buying and selling on any given day, because they think... If they find out what they're buying, um, it takes them a while to move their size of positions. You'll start buying it. The price will go up and they'll have to buy it for more. Uh, Kathy's very keen on the idea of you buying the things that she's buying. So the price of them goes up and her holdings are worth more. So I'm interested in Berkshire to see what happens there as a company without guidance, because that kind of concept interests me quite a bit. You think they just
0: don't offer oh, out good. guidance because they, they never got guidance in their early investing career and they've made perfect decisions for it. I think it's twofold. They don't want to give it out because they never had it and they 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 don't feel they made any less informed choices. And the other thing is, is that guidance really makes long-term investors make short-term decisions. So I think probably both of those things are there for Buffett to just say, yeah, you don't need them. I mean, we're talking about people who are stuck in the past. Have, do you have you seen Berkshire's website? Yes, <laughs> it's great. It's like an old text line. Uh, Welcome to Berkshire Halfway and at the bottom it says, "Click here to get a quote from Geico Insurance." Like as if people are going to <laughs> going to Berkshire to go for that. But yeah, it, I, I sort of, I'm all right with that. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I didn't realise it initially. Man. It's one of those things that's just sort of slipped me by. But no, it's interesting.
1: No. Yeah, and come to think of it, is the company just so complicated that it'd be very hard to go, okay, Geico needs this, but Geico is only 7% of our portfolio, so it really doesn't matter that much. And then we've got real estate, we've got uh, Apple. Oh, Apple's doing well. There you go. Like we, we expect Apple to do as well as they tell you we're going to do, because uh, Apple issues guidance. So there is that. And also what I was going to uh, so. Uh we go on Sven Carlin, he he released a bit of um, an update on Berkshire Athway and, and said he was out and it, because it now doesn't offer a particularly good margin of safety or a good upside. Um what I was thinking there is with the value investing approach, do you think Berkshire should kind of make itself undervalued as possible all the time i i know it's very hard to actually do that but by by is it should it be trying to attract the same kind of investors into the but then yeah i'm i'm kind of talking myself out of this uh, theory already <laughs> because i didn't think it through i just thought it up off of top of my head but um basically what i'm trying to say is you should be trying to attract people who are looking for value and if Berkshire is not valued, then you probably shouldn't expect people to invest in it, right? Sounds right. I Bet you've got nothing well, to say to can that. I, can I?
2: Oh, sorry. I thought there was. I thought there was another <laughs> bit where the question was coming. Um, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so Berkshire have said historically, at any rate, that they want their, sell, their stock to trade at around the right price, and the main reason for that is, unlike other companies, their bonuses aren't linked to the share price of the company. So. Where you might find, um, I mean, this is known, I think, about Tim Cook at Apple, for instance, and uh, Buffett doesn't oppose this, at least not explicitly. Uh, His bonus is linked to the price of that share Um, and uh, obviously split adjusted and so on. Probably more accurately the market cap, I guess. But that makes him highly incentivized to run buybacks at every possible opportunity you get, because the more you buy back, the more the uh, share price goes up. Push a dividend, if you like, if you think that'll attract people in. Dividend's probably too low to be that exciting at the moment. But at Berkshire, I think things are slightly differently incentivized here. They like their stock trading as close as they can to um, what they consider to be its fair value, and maybe right or maybe wrong about that. And when it's under, they start firing the buyback gun. I'm also interested to know what's happened in buybacks in this last uh, quarter mm. as well, because I heard talk of something happening
1: there. This, this is... Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for saying that, because I just want to... Sorry, Steve, I just want to go on to the next stage of that uh which was if that's the case and berkshire was just trying to keep itself at its proper value or what they consider to be the proper value and they do this in a similar way to say quantitative easing basically when the price goes too low they start opening up the the buyback cannon when it's too high they kind of stop and they they don't say anything negative they just say oh we're not really moving around doesn't that encourage Berkshire's price to always underperform the outlying market? Uh,
2: maybe it depends. So what they want their price to do is track alongside the earnings of the companies they have. Uh, if their companies outperform the, uh, the broad average of companies on the market, then no, their price should push along faster than that. If their companies underperform it, then yes, uh, it should drag. I mean, On the face of it, it sounds like what they're asking for is a fair competition with the market there. And what they try to watch, and indeed Sven made a video on this point as well, I think, really good one that I liked quite a lot, um, of suggesting, talking about Berkshire, underperforming, overperforming, beating the market, not beating the market. This depends how you measure this sort of thing. And obviously you can do that in terms of share price appreciation. You can also do it by looking at the earnings and the growth and the underlying businesses. Um, And the Berkshire way is very much to... Take the second thing, and then think that the share price will fall into line. And if it doesn't fall into line, buy stuff back until it does. Uh, basically, uh, can good. I
0: just can I just interject and say that I know Sven is um, is in your DMs every day asking if he can become the fourth member of the podcast poll. But I'm going to poke <laughs> a small hole in um, in his video on Berkshire in that he neglected that that cash could be used to acquire something. Um, he was very much looking at the future revenues of Berkshire as it is today, but they have a hell of a lot of money. That when they go out and buy 160 billion, 150 billions worth of companies, which we think that at some point they probably will do, they will add huge revenues and huge earnings to that already mammoth company. So to say that Berkshire won't have um, a market-beating return in the future for me feels
1: sort of short-sighted. And I think you're right, and I'm I'm so glad you said that because during the COVID crash, everyone was hoping that Berkshire was going to see. He had I think it had 153 billion at the time. It's probably 180 something billion at the moment. Um, it had 153 billion at the time, and what did he do? He bought nothing essentially, and sold a lot at a loss. So. Yep what what the best thing and I, I get what you're saying here i get what you're saying i get that we sh- the best time to buy berkshire will be on the next crash like if you if if we have a 70% draw, drawdown crash and you can't quite figure out where the best places to go you haven't already got it earmarked then berkshire would probably be one of the best places because you know that the guys at berkshire ted and todd and all that are sitting there and going, ah, okay, we're waiting for that one to go. We're waiting for that one to go, and we're waiting for that one. Oh, I'll, I'll, uh, so I get I'll it. I'll disagree with you slightly
0: in that you should be looking for crunches in liquidity rather than mm. rather than share price alone. A share price drop of thirty, forty, fifty percent has happened, and there wasn't any issues with liquidity. So none of these companies were in distress, and so none of them were actively looking to sell. Buffett wants people to ring him and say, "We need your help." And he didn't get then the COVID crash because they rang the Fed instead. Um, so the next liquidity yeah. crash, maybe when the Fed's money printer is a little bit more worn, that's when Buffett will get the call, and that's the time to buy Berkshire <laughs> Hathaway.
2: I think it dead right. I Very mean, good. I think that's the time to own Berkshire Hathaway for what it's worth. I think by that point, um, it might be late to buying them. Depends what happens to Berkshire share price. I mean, if it falls with all the other ships in this, then, yeah, maybe – But you're right in thinking that's pretty much what the bull case for Berkshire is waiting for. And Paul is also dead right for what it's worth. I was a Berkshire shareholder during that um, COVID crash. uh, And I saw Buffett selling airlines and I saw him buying nothing. And I listened to the shareholder meeting from 2020 and I was infuriated by it, basically. Uh, The answer that came back to why didn't you do anything was that we didn't see anything that attractive to do. Uh, nearly everyone else saw stuff that was that attractive to do. I get that it's difficult when you're dealing in big, big numbers to move quickly, but that's not a reason to do nothing. That might well be a reason if someone said, look, why couldn't you get the last hundred billion into it? Yeah, sure, moving a hundred billion takes time and things move around too fast for you. But, yeah, I found that deeply frustrating. I've subsequently come to kind of revise my view on that one, but I also have an eye on the
1: time a little bit, and I'm aware we've got Ooh, a pipeline and I, that we've absolutely promised can I, yeah, about. just...
0: The last, last no, one. can I...
1: This is a great debate. Can I... No, no, this is a great debate. I like this. This is it's good where it's going, because, like, I mean, I've, don't get me wrong, I'm so glad you said that, because I, I had forgotten that, and that was exact That would be exactly my, my view. But that wasn't clear at the time, was it? At the time, everyone just thought... Oh Jesus! Uh, cruise lines are going to disappear. Where all shops are going to absolutely implode on on themselves. And it wasn't until a couple of days later, I think it was around late March, early April. I, I, in fact, I think it was something like April the third, because I missed the first day of it going of, of it uh, of the recovery, which was, would have been when the Fed said, "Oh, we're just going to open up, open up the gun." And um, yeah, but still. Still, he could have invested in something. They they could have picked something, but like you say, I do. uh, They they always have said that. They always have said that they are looking for companies which uh, are holding problems, Uh, and you know he probably was looking at something like Boeing because that's quite a big enough, quite a big company for him to get. But yeah, the Fed announced that they were going to save him. But I say that I think that was with hindsight. Really?
0: One other thing that everybody is discounting is this big green energy bill in America. People often forget that Berkshire Hathaway have probably one of the largest, uh, utility companies, um, in the U S under their wing. And, um, they will be looking to get access to this too. They'll be building charge points. Berkshire Energy will be out there doing all of the things this infrastructure bill um, is looking to do, in it, especially in terms of green energy. So they'll be another sort of beneficiary of that. So with that, with potential companies in distress coming up, Berkshire is a very interesting company
2: again.
1: Bought pipes, though, didn't he? That was basically all he bought. He bought pipes a bit Tried to buy pipes, more pipes, and a bit of... actually,
2: uh, but yeah. recently had that oh, scotched by the regulator who said, you can't have all the pipes, Warren. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah. then he... He's like, I, f- I fucking love pipes. <laughs> Just give me all the yeah. pipes. <laughs> basically, then, what he did was, uh, apparently, he went round to the regulator's house, found a homeless guy, and got in the back of his Tesla. <laughs> but...
1: <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe that's it. He, he, the... the... They've stopped making all the Keystone stuff. They've banned all that now. That looks like it's pretty much gone. So there is a finite amount of gas lines now, so gas and oil pipelines. So uh, maybe that's what the play is now. It's, uh, you know, 10 years, he thinks it's well, it. wrapped up by buying the Gas lines to him
0: now are like railway lines. He thinks that they're not going to build any more. Mm-hmm. So the ones that are there now mm-hmm. at the moment are very, very important.
1: You could be right about that. Yeah, and they're very valuable. And they're... they're, uh, they're, they're, they're uh, growing in value pretty much weekly mm. aren't they so um, that's yeah. that's okay speaking of pipelines wow what an awesome segue brilliant brilliant we had to say pipeline a million times but yeah what an awesome segue and that and that's completely organic by the way completely <laughs> organic. Uh, but we had a question. We had a question uh, a couple of weeks ago. In fact, it's probably a couple of months ago now from a guy called Equity Investor. Thank you so much for asking the question. We've been trying to get round to this week on week, and he asked, "How do you approach the value, the valuation of BMY's pipeline, and how do you approach other pipelines more generally?" And this was based on our uh, Bristol Myers Squib video, which was, God knows, probably like twenty episodes ago now. Um, and we're, what we're talking about is drug pipelines, because uh, lots of the pharmaceutical companies right now are uh, appear to be below their intrinsic value. They seem to have a lot of cash on hand. They seem to not be trading at a significantly high price. Uh, but people aren't really loving them. And we think we've picked out a couple. Uh, one in particular is Bristol Myers Squibb, uh, which is... Feeling the underlove because it has a ridiculous amount of cash, growing its dividend, lowering its payout ratio, and it's got this amazing pipeline. I think it's got like fifty odd drugs in its pipeline still. And that's where we've always focused on with pharmaceutical companies. We've focused on what their drug pipeline is doing and how good it could be in the future. So we're going to talk about how we would possibly evaluate these uh, drug Pipelines. And who wants to start off that one first? Shall I leave Go yourself? for it. Go for sure.
2: uh, So this is a question about valuation. Um, I, I really want to say you might know me as Mr. Valuation, but I fear that Chuck Carnival will <laughs> no. uh, come and hit me with a stone-cold stunner if I do that. Um, <laughs> but I That's think a lot probably... of private
1: jokes in there, guys. That's a lot of private <laughs> jokes that you just won't get. Sorry. <laughs> All right, fine. Uh, we'll cut that a bit out again.
2: <laughs> this being a question about valuation and me being arguably the person here who cares the most about valuation, the other two do as well. I'll lead us off on this one then. So here's how I think about <laughs> drug pipelines. Basically, there's two ways you can try and approach this. One is the correct way. Um, and two is the way I do it because the correct way is too hard. So here's the official answer, basically. <laughs> what you need to do uh, to evaluate a drug pipeline properly is uh, look at everything that's in it, every drug that's in some phase and what phase it's in of testing, and the first thing you want to do is work out if this drug makes it to market, how much revenue will it generate, uh, and that will give you a number. Um, but these are pipelines, so these drugs haven't quite reached market yet. Uh, and there's always uncertainty because they may or may not get approved. You might have heard us a few weeks ago talking about uh, Biogen's uh, new Alzheimer drug. That was an interesting thing because it was uh, highly unlikely to get its FDA approval, and it somehow did. So what you want is um, some sort of probability multiple, which is basically just a statement of how likely you think it is to get approved. Uh, And then what you do is multiply together your... Uh, revenue number and your probability number and that will give you an amount that you think that drug is worth do that for all the drugs add them up and uh, that gives you the value of the pipeline easy right unless you're someone like me who has no idea how likely a drug is to get uh evaluated, to get um approved or how much it's likely to generate if it is in fact approved because uh, that's not even easy in the case of the biogen thing also
1: you're looking through Pfizer, and I think it's got like 97 drugs on its pipeline at the moment. Um, no, ain't nobody got time for that, right? Ain't nobody got time for that.
2: Ain't nobody got time for that indeed. So here's what I tend to do instead. Um, I tend to uh, suck up the fact that I don't really know what I'm doing with these kind of things and just look for things that have big pipelines basically and things that have a lot in late stage development paul's chucked a couple of numbers out so far that are a little short of where i'm thinking i think you're looking at later stage uh pipeline stuff here steve's got a bit more to say on this i think coming up but i was looking on a website called statista.com they have stats for all kinds of things right but one of the things they tell you is the number of things that are in a drug company's pipeline so bristol myers squib has 177 according to this drugs in some Ooh, or other Must
1: have some really yeah, phase of Must development. some really early stuff that I don't know about.
2: Yep, Sorry. Pfizer 170. Um, and if you're wanting to evaluate a pipeline and just make sure it's not too thin, basically, because the reason we care about pipelines is because patents wear off. Um, and companies like AbbVie, like Merck, which are quite heavily dependent on, their, for, on a particular drug for a lot of their revenues, whether that's Humira or Keytruda. When those patents expire, the revenue for them falls by about 90 percent, usually on average, uh, as generic competition starts flooding the market and becomes cheaper. So what you need is to keep replenishing your stuff under patent. The way I look at it isn't much more sophisticated, if I'm honest, than give me something that's got a load of stuff in it. Um, Give me something that's got loads of stuff. And since I don't really know what I'm looking at here in working out whether one company's pipeline is better than another company's pipeline, I just take the numbers here and try and take shots like that. And it's not much more sophisticated. So yes, there's the official way of doing it, uh, which involves working out what these drugs are, their total addressable market and the probability of them getting approved and then adding it all up. Um, or there's the thing you can do like me, if you don't really know that much about it in your main case for buying Bristol Myers is that the pipeline looks decent, but that there's also plenty of other stuff going on here as well. Mm. Okay. Well, I've got a scientific way
0: of doing it, um, which is the way that I would generally value um, a company's pipeline. So I, I'm looking at the pipeline only here. I'm not interested in stuff that's already out at the moment. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that we can value that based on based on a standard discount cash flow or basic earnings um, framework. So I would only consider phase three only. That's the only part of the pipeline I'm, I'm interested in. Um, Phase one and phase two has quite a high failure rate. So um it's one of those things where I would if you want to stick an arbitrary valuation on them of a dollar or something like that, you can do, but in the sort of schemes of the companies we're talking about, I would only consider phase three. Um I would then look at the TAMs for the um the drugs in question. Now the companies generally tell you this. as as a, a drug enters Phase 3 or gets accepted onto Phase 3 or as it's progressing in Phase 3, they'll start to talk to you about the TAM. If they don't talk to you about the TAM, the best thing you can do is just find a competing drug um, and they will they will obviously tell you the TAM there. Um, you've got to then sort of figure out a realistic potential market take. So if a drug is first to the market, you'll be able to get a relatively high market share in a relatively um, fast um, Time frame. But you would expect that to tail off because um, there isn't really any new drugs coming to market that don't have any competition at some level, um, you know, only following closely behind. So what I would do is I would uh, top up all of the calculated TAMs. I would discount them by 40% because at phase three, 40% of drugs fail. Um and then once you get confident with the value in pipelines, you can actually add back a credibility factor. Like 40% of Bristol Myers's, 40% of Pfizer's, 40% of Merck Drugs don't fail. Um, they're much, much better at getting things through. Managing trials is I think what they would call it. They're also better at um just cutting off stuff that they know is just not going to make it through. But 40% is my headline number. Um if you're not if it's not a large cap farmer, I mean if you're looking at a mid and small cap, you've got to take into account the cash position. Because um, an approved drug with a weak cash position is just not worth anything. Um, An approved drug with a strong cash position gives them a chance to execute. Execution on average costs sort of 1 to 1.5 billion. um, And that is through phase three through to actually getting it in in doctor's hands. So it's... um, it's it's a fairly expensive job, really. So you you, you know companies with two three hundred million they're going to dilute the share. Here. Um, so the other thing I would check is the patents. So sometimes a phase three drug can take a, a really long period of time to get out of phase one, phase two, and get towards phase three. Uh, and if it's got a ten year patent, for example, and it's taken them eight years to get through um, through to phase three, then that drug is effectively worth nothing. There'll be generics on the market before it can get any market share. Um, so you've just got to consider that they'll disclose all the patents in the filings and the only other point really that i've got to bring up is just check the royalty rates on it with a lot of drugs now they're bristol myers in tandem with x small pharma where bristol myers will do a lot of the developing and they will give a royalty rate back to the original biopharma company now obviously that is only might only be 5 10 15 20 but that is coming out of your pipeline price so it's just another thing to discount off it so let all that up Take away your 40%, take away your royalty rates, add a little factor of safety for your patents, and then you're somewhere near a pipeline valuation.
1: That's very good. That's like, that's sticking all of the numbers in there, you, you get a lot. But there is an element of qualitative nuance to this, I think, but, uh, personally, because you've got, I think you mentioned there, uh, the average drug. Getting through pipeline costs up to one point two to two point six billion dollars. One to one point five billion so usually. It's two point six
0: from one, po- one to
1: one point five. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, basically all drugs, no matter where um, where they end up on the pipeline, will, on average, end up being uh, two point six billion in cost. So, yeah, you have to pay a lot of attention to these and. Uh, you've got to take them seriously, even though they will shove out like their B- Bristol, Myers squib actually has 177 in its pipeline. It must have a lot more on its, um, in its early phases. But also I think what your number might be including, there is a lot of bolt ons, which is very important to, uh, pipelines in my opinion. And that is basically where you take, um, key is a good example. Uh, when we go from, Merck, uh, key is a very good example of bolt ons here is, Keytruda is a cancer drug, but it's in many different disease areas. And what these drugs can do is when they, when they initially come out into onto the market, they've got the pattern of about 20 years, something like that, or it could even be a lot longer than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but over those 20 years, it will always consistently keep going through a lot of different phase trials for different uh, different disease areas and also combining with different drugs as well from other companies which is which is very good you've got uh key mixing with a lot i can't remember any of the off the top of my head but they're basically in in conjunction with another drug from a different company they are now taking on liver cancer or they'll, they'll now be taking on bowel cancer for this and there's a, there's a lot of different things there and obviously the patents are very very important because if key Truder does break into a different part of the uh the anatomy or a different disease area and it runs out a patent next year it's going to be useless absolutely useless to put that much effort into creating this new trial for this drug and it's going to be useless because it's going to lose 90 percent of its revenue next year yeah that's oh, i thought you had something to say there steve no no oh, I think... you were you were sort no, of no, i was just to... agreeing with oh. you wholeheartedly
0: i think you've uh you pretty much sort of nailed it yeah. fair enough
1: yeah fair enough but there's a lot to it and you've got to remember because i I wrote down uh steve d is very interested in phase three i'm also very interested in phase two but from phase two you need to understand a little bit more i think this is where i have a bit of a medical background and i'm actually interested in uh medicine and so not just from from my day my day job which you know i'm just a paramedic but um, and we don't need to know too much about drugs, but we see a lot of different drugs clinically on a day to day basis. And we have to learn or we do. If you're any good, you'll go out there and you'll try to learn a lot more about them. And this does pass over into this uh, drug pipeline. And I feel like I can see a lot more in phase two, even though I think it's still 40 percent fail in phase two. So you have phase two fail in 40 percent. And then the phase three is pretty much 40 percent failure rate as well. Phase four is uh, this nice little bit where they kind of go, oh, well, you did okay, but the board didn't mm. unanimously think you were going to going to pass through. So we'll let you try it out on these types of patients, but we <laughs> won't let you ro- roam full- full-heartedly. But, the, it, you know, uh, the latest one on that, which isn't a drug, is transmedics, right? We can talk about transmedics here, that it's partly got through its phase trial i'm kind of Hmm. guessing here but it's gone through a medical review and now it's allowed to on its liver system it's allowed to now go out there and and practice basically practice on on different uh different liver system uh liver deliveries uh in order to try and prove its worth and that's what we do in phase four with they're creating more trials in in the world to know to kind of gather more evidence that this is ready for a proper Trans- release. Transmedics Trans- was
0: interesting, wasn't it? Because they they couldn't actually prove from the data that they gathered that it was actually beneficial, but they did realize that it wasn't causing mm. any more harm. Um, so that what that it wasn't causing any more harm sort of teamed with the amount of professors and sort of medical professionals who actually took the time out to say, this is better than an ice box. I don't care what your data says. Yeah. When I'm actually physically mm. using this, this is better than an ice box. That's what got it through. So, TransMedics has an opportunity to sort of change yes. transplants, but it also has the opportunity to be beaten by what is essentially a cooler.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it, I mean, we're gonna go. We're gonna go off the off the mark here. Uh, what sort of time are we on? Yeah, just over an hour uh, and four. Because I haven't got a timer today. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, but we're going to go off the mark here about transmedics because transmedics is a very, we're very passionate about transmedics, uh, me and Steve DR. Um, it's such a shame that you cannot just rely on anecdotes because something, uh, it's just something that is so obviously better than an icebox uh, to actually perfuse an organ through transit. That's definitely going to increase its. Uh, uh livable time it's definitely going to uh, improve its transplant rate and the fact that we can't prove it because the trials won't allow it's uh, such a catch-22 situation oh it's this, this does it's this does hark back as
0: well to to what we were talking about with the pipelines in that as well uh, weak cash position transmedics in, invariably are going to have a fairly weak cash, cash position in that this drug and this happens a lot of times in med tech and drugs and that drugs get through they are visibly better than what's on the market. They improve what's on the market, but they can execute and the business fails for whatever reason. And that is always a, that's a real thing. I'll tell you
1: what, a really good example of that recently is uh, dexamethasone. Very recently is dexamethasone mm. for months. Dexamethasone, dexamethasone just wasn't allowed to be used on, uh, on SARS patients. And, but for some, someone in the private sector just must have been using it or just accidentally dropped it in there and improved the patient and went, look, it's real. Like, <laughs> it really does work. And the, and uh, medicine had to go, okay, let's prove it first. Let's take a good six or seven months and figure it out. We'll lose 100,000 people uh, to it when really dexamethasone isn't a dangerous drug. Everybody knows the side effects on pretty much everyone. Why couldn't we just, you know, are on the side uh, the side of caution but you know we we knew dexamethasone what it does is steroid it it doesn't do any real damage uh, kids have uh, kids have it every day for croup like, why are <laughs> we kids starting out <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not anabolic steroid <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's, uh, it's it was just a mad one, uh, and the other the other drugs out there are still going through the phases. Has GlaxoSmithKline got one at the minute that's trying to go through emergency testing. Uh, There's loads going through emergency just, testing at the moment, put,
0: isn't there? I think um, yeah, I think we're is, going to end up is. with the, the flooded market.
1: Yeah, which quite is possible. what happens when you don't well, have a flood. I poop. hope that. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that answers your, um, your question, Equity Investor. Thank you very much for asking that question. And we've got a few more questions on the list that we're going to ask over the, the coming weeks. It's just some of the news, and sometimes we run over. I think we're running over a lot on this, on this episode as well. But thank you so much for everyone that's been listening. Thank you uh, for asking questions. And if you've got another question, just feel free to ask us as well. It could be pretty much about anything, you know, we'll give our in a idiot opinion on anything. Like, where's best to place your nuts in a Tesla would be a really good one to think about. They can do it um, with video evidence. Oh, by the way, if anyone has... <laughs> yeah. By the way, if anyone has any great places to put your nuts in a Tesla, uh, leave it in the comments below. Yeah, Thank just to you. let... let uh, give yeah, us a like, let us, know, let us know you
0: got to the end of the video by telling us where you'd put your nuts in a
1: Tesla. <laughs> 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 Love it. Love it. Uh, uh, yeah, give us a like, subscribe. And on your favorite podcasting program, whatever that is, shop, uh, Spotify, Audible, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, whatever, give us a five-star review and tell us where you're going to put your nuts on in a Tesla. And uh, thank you very much for watching, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>